The companies have dropped their minimum delivery amounts consistently throughout the entire pandemic. It's it's insane how low it is now. So what you'll see is workers out there who are actually losing money because they're not making enough to cover their expenses. In the last 10 years, more and more people have started doing gig work through apps like Uber, Lyft, Instacart, and DoorDash. However, gig jobs often don't have the same kinds of protections that traditional jobs do, like a guaranteed minimum wage, overtime pay, or the right to collectively bargain. Some argue that this is because gig jobs aren't real jobs, but in fact, full-time gig workers make up 10 to 13% of the American workforce, and many of them are working 30 hours or more per week. Gig workers are disproportionately younger, lower income, and people of color. Many of them opt for gig work to supplement income from other jobs or because they have family situations that require flexible work schedules. On the local, state, and national levels, lawmakers are looking at legislation that could make gig work safer, more stable, and better paying. Today, we are asking gig workers and organizers what issues they're concerned about and whether collective bargaining could be a path to addressing them. From the Daily Northwestern, I'm Will Clark. Welcome to The Ripple, a podcast exploring the effects of state and national politics on the Evanston and Northwestern communities. A 2021 study from the Illinois Economic Policy Institute found that gig drivers in Chicago only earn about $13.62 per hour on average after vehicle expenses. That's less than Chicago's minimum wage, which is $14 an hour. Another study, this one looking at gig workers across the nation, found that a majority of Uber drivers make less than $10 per hour after vehicle expenses. So why are gig workers getting paid below minimum wage for essential, sometimes dangerous work? Well, some of that has to do with their classification as independent contractors rather than employees. Under labor laws, an independent contractor is basically someone who's self-employed, like a freelance writer or a plumber. Independent contractors don't get certain labor protections that employees do, like the right to a minimum wage, overtime pay, workers' compensation, unemployment benefits, or the right to collectively bargain. And under current law, that's how gig workers are classified. But some advocates are pushing to change that. The Protecting the Right to Organize Act, a bill the Democratic House passed on March 11th, would do just that, reclassifying gig workers as employees and securing their right to unionize. The Biden administration has voiced support for the bill, but it will likely face an uphill battle in the Senate. To start us off, I sat down with Lori Simmons, a gig worker and an organizer with the People's Lobby, a grassroots social justice organization focusing on labor rights, racial justice, and environmental issues in the Chicago area. I asked Lori to walk me through the way wages are determined for drivers because the whole process is a bit confusing. It is, and they've made it that way intentionally so that nobody can identify whether or not they're stealing our wages. Basically, the way that it started, you know, you'll remember when Rideshare began how the big deal was about surge pricing. Surge pricing is a really important feature of Rideshare app's pricing algorithms. It basically charges passengers more for rides in busy or high-density areas, like right after a concert. 
However, some passengers felt like the gig companies were charging overly high rates for short rides. The whole idea was that it was dynamic pricing. So basically, in a quote-unquote busy area, the price would go up and that would incentivize us, the gig workers, to go to that busy area, which may be dangerous as well because whatever's going on over there, there's a lot of people who need a ride. Sometimes you would see things like the train would stop running here in Chicago and suddenly a surge would pop up crazy and everybody would run over there and, and get it. But it's a madhouse, right? I mean, finding your person, all this stuff, it's, it's a pain. So a lot of people wouldn't want to do it unless they were getting paid more money. Uber and Lyft drivers make a base level per mile and per minute rate that varies from city to city, although those rates have suffered several cuts in the past couple of years. When there's a surge, as much as passengers don't like the inflated prices, drivers have historically been able to boost their incomes. However, that's no longer the case. So a lot of drivers would wait for a long ride with a big surge because the longer the ride was, the more money you would get and it would multiply and multiply and the ride would become quite uh, lucrative. It doesn't work like that anymore. So basically the way it works now is no matter how far you're taking them, you only get a flat dollar amount part of the surge that they're charging. So they're still charging two or three or sometimes even four or five times, you know, of what they would normally charge. However, the driver's getting probably five to $10 of that and, and all the rest of it is going to the company. So basically, if I ordered an Uber ride from a high traffic area when rideshare apps first launched, I would pay more and that additional cost would go toward paying my driver for the hassle of having to navigate a busy, potentially dangerous area. But now, if I ordered that same ride from that same high traffic area, I would pay the same additional cost but it would go to Uber or Lyft rather than my driver. Some workers and advocates feel like this change defeats surge pricing's original purpose. Others are concerned that a lack of transparency about pricing and pay is being used to manipulate drivers. It seems like there's no consistency. You could be two different drivers sitting in cars next to each other and turn on the app and like have two different surge levels for the same place. And it's like, why am I getting one amount and the person next to me is getting another amount. That's Kim Ziavo, a former driver and an organizer with the Independent Drivers Guild, a union-backed organization focused on rideshare workers' rights. According to the New York Times, Uber has hired social scientists and data scientists to help them design algorithms that use video game techniques and low-value rewards to push drivers to work longer. For example, When a driver is logging off for the end of the night, the app might send them a message saying, you're only $15 away from making $400. Are you sure you want to log off? Messages like this are designed to tap into the psychological drive for goal achieving. Kim said using tactics like this to keep drivers on the road is unethical. It's very much like behavior modifications. If we do this, this, and that, maybe this driver will stay out for two or three hours longer. You can't prove it, but you know you're you're being manipulated. Rideshare companies' pricing algorithms are also dependent on the amount of drivers in an area at a given time. If there's more drivers than passengers, drivers are forced to compete for passengers. That means that they'll be more willing to accept lower wages or shorter, less profitable rides. That's one reason why, on April 7th, Uber announced a plan to spend $250 million dollars to persuade more drivers to start working amid the pandemic. But drivers say they haven't seen increased wages as part of that plan. Right at the end of March, I got an alert, and apparently some other people did too, that they would be lowering my rates to make them equal with other newer drivers in the market. That's Faye Serlin Wheeler, an Uber and Lyft driver from Rockford, Illinois. 
So here I am putting my health at risk, being on the road, you lower my pay, and then you say you're going to offer incentives to people who aren't driving that are going to come back. Like, wow, just another one of those times where they remind me that I'm not important. Faith Erlin isn't alone in feeling devalued by the gig company she works for. I think at the end of the day, what was frustrating for me was not feeling like a, like a person. That's Xanthi Brown a sophomore at the School of Communication who worked for Instacart in her hometown of Champaign, Illinois this past summer. They time you like really hard when <laughs> when you shop. You get like a 10 minute break every four hours. When you take your 10 minute break, there's like a running timer with like the minutes you have left in like red. Xanthi said that high pressure atmosphere was also combined with a lack of in-person support. If Instacart shoppers had problems, they were left to call or message a support line. Xanthi said the support line was painfully slow at responding. So I shopped this order that I thought was a repeat order, and I, I messaged the customer service people, and I was like, this feels like a repeat order, I don't know what to do. And I, w I waited on them for probably 45 minutes, and then I got a message back that was like, nope, this isn't a repeat order, go ahead and finish it up. Which means I had spent 45 minutes on this like three item order, which would wreck my stats. Instacart shoppers are meticulously timed for all their orders, which is why Xanthi was so concerned about spending 45 minutes on such a small cart. Instacart technically only hired her for a two-month period, and she was concerned that they would let her go at the end of those two months if her times weren't good enough. She said that pay was also an area of concern. I know there was a scandal for a long time where Instacart had a tipping function in its app, but was pocketing the tips. In 2019, Instacart was found to be using tip money to subsidize worker pay. So, basically, if an Instacart worker got a $10 tip from a customer, the app would decrease their Instacart pay by $10. In 2019, Instacart CEO Apurva Mehta apologized for the policy, saying it was, quote, misguided. But gig companies continue to face allegations of tip theft. I spoke to one driver who'd been driving with Uber and Lyft for two years, in that time, he had five or six rides where passengers said they were going to tip him, but the tips never appeared on his end. He said this even occurred after showing passengers how to pull up the tip section of the app himself. They gave me a tip on the app, but I just didn't get it. That driver, who I spoke to over the phone, wanted to remain anonymous over concerns of retaliation from Uber and Lyft. He said he contacted Uber and Lyft support, and they told him he didn't receive his tips because of a glitch in the app. But then he joined Facebook groups where other Uber and Lyft drivers said they had the same experience as him. People like me, like they just immigrated to this country and they don't have any work experience or they have a language barrier. Uber and Lyft knows exactly what kind of people are doing this. They know that this is their only income, so they can push it like as much as they want it. This driver's concerns that Uber and Lyft are able to exploit many of their drivers for being lower income or first generation immigrants who lack access to other work opportunities reflect national statistics. One 2018 study found that in some cities, nine out of 10 Uber drivers are immigrants. Other studies have found that a disproportionate amount of rideshare drivers are living near the poverty line. Despite the testimonies of many drivers, both Uber and Lyft deny all allegations of tip theft. Uber's website says that, quote, there are zero service fees applied to your tips. Lyft's says, quote, 100% of tips go to drivers.
But gig workers' concerns don't begin and end at wage theft and low pay rates. Those issues only feed into other problems, like driver safety. That makes for a very dangerous atmosphere in terms of like car repairs not getting done. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that falls by the wayside when people are making poverty wages. That's Lori again. On top of vehicle maintenance, an increase in carjackings is a major safety concern for drivers. The passengers are not required to use their real names. So people who have a stolen credit card, they can put a fake name on there, use the stolen credit card, request a ride, rob that person, steal their car, and then erase the account and nobody can find them because Uber and Lyft don't actually track who's using their app at all. What Lori is describing happened on March 23rd when a Chicago-area driver named Javier Ramos was shot to death by a passenger during a carjacking. His death sparked anger and fear among gig workers, some of whom feel that companies like Uber and Lyft aren't prioritizing their safety. Omar Sendejas, a Lyft driver, said he would like to see ride-hail apps require passengers to use their real name and photograph. With us, we're supposed to have a clear picture on our app, but they have the option to, so they opt out. I, I don't know who's getting in my car. Passengers can also order rides for other people without saying that's what they're doing, leaving drivers completely in the dark about who or how many people to expect when they pull up to pick up a passenger. If you order a ride for somebody else and you're not the one using it, I think it should be an option where it's that you have to pick it, where it's that you fit to order a ride for someone, okay, it's not you getting in the car, okay, you got to pay an extra $3. That's Lorenzo Washington also an Uber and Lyft driver. He said he's had uncomfortable experiences where the passenger who showed up was different from the passenger he was told he'd be picking up. He said he's begun taking lots of precautions because he's concerned about being carjacked. Omar has also taken extra precautions to ensure his safety. I carry pepper spray and I do have a pepper ball gun and hopefully that helps, but I do wish they would do something. On April 9th, Uber did announce that in response to the increase in carjackings, Riders will be required to upload some form of identification if they're using an anonymous payment method like gift cards or prepaid debit cards. Lyft has yet to follow suit. But when it comes to requiring passengers to post photos of themselves, advocates have mixed feelings. Some support it, while others are concerned that it could lead to increased discrimination. A 2019 study found that Black and LGBTQ passengers face disproportionate ride cancellations, and amid the pandemic, The LA Times reported that Asian American and Pacific Islander passengers also experienced racist cancellations. Lorenzo thinks that gig companies need to step up to address racism among drivers. One thing that I think Lyft and Uber can do is they can make sure all of us uh, watch a video on cultural diversity because you should be aware of these type of things. You should not be biased towards someone else because of color or creed. On top of wages and driver safety, Advocates say they're concerned about what they call random deactivations. These happen when Uber or Lyft deactivates a driver's account, sometimes without even telling them why. It usually happens because of an unverified accusation or complaint a passenger made against them. The problem is these accusations don't require any sort of burden of proof whatsoever. So basically, and customers are rewarded for lying because if they say that the driver was intoxicated, they get a free ride. That was Lori again. Once you have somebody who's used the app for so long, they've got 20,000 rides on the app. Statistically, yeah, that's going to happen a couple of times. So what you'll see is the the older drivers who have more uh, of these accusations on their account being deactivated with no appeals process. Omar said he bought a dash cam so that he can send Lyft footage if a passenger ever falsely accuses him of improper behavior. I was uh, accused of driving under the influence 
right in the smack middle of the day. So it was like right number 10 or 11 or something like that. So I, I submitted the video over to Lyft and they reactivated me right away. And although Omar was able to message Lyft and get reactivated, other drivers have had trouble getting reactivated. Chicago area rideshare forums are full of posts from deactivated drivers asking for help and support. Lori said that if a deactivated driver is able to get a lawyer to contact Uber or Lyft, they can usually get reactivated right away. But gig workers are disproportionately younger, lower income people, and lawyers may not be financially accessible to them. These concerns about wages, algorithmic manipulation, driver safety, and unfair deactivations are the things organizers would likely use collective bargaining to pressure companies into addressing if legislation like the PRO Act passed. I think unionize as far as just the drivers get and the gig workers getting together and and demanding something to happen, uh, I, I think it will get really fast results. Xanthi also said that unionization for gig workers would be a step in the right direction. I think these conglomerates have gotten really, really powerful in recent years because they're utilizing tools of the internet and technology that are really convenient for people. And they're great ideas. But definitely, I think, you know, there need to be regulations put on that. And I think workers absolutely should have a shot at communicating. It's a service job, like other service jobs, and there should be a union to go along with that. But not all gig workers are entirely comfortable with the idea of unionization. Facerlin has some concerns about whether a union structure would work well for rideshare apps where not everyone is a full-time worker. When you talk about unionizing, it's, it's, it's too big and too fluid of a corporation to really look at it like that because you have drivers who are part-time, you have drivers who are full-time, you have drivers who are three-fourths time, you have drivers who are doing it all, and then you have drivers who may just be doing one thing. Like, I think it will be difficult because anytime you have union, you know you have union fees and you have union expectations. I wouldn't want to have to pay into a union when, you know, I'm very part-time with it. Facerlin said she'd like to see some sort of board or regulatory body to oversee gig work companies and represent workers, but not in the form of a union. Lorenzo wasn't totally sure what he thought about unionization, but he didn't want to see his ability to work flexible hours be affected by any legal changes to gig workers' status. I like to hear more about what they want to try when it comes to that, you know, stuff like that. If it take away from the freedom of being your own boss, I'm not for it. Lorenzo's not alone in his concerns. Some gig workers are worried that reclassifying them from independent contractors to employees could lead rideshare companies to implement restrictive schedules or switch to having shifts for drivers, removing the flexibility that makes gig work so accessible. Kim is one of those people. You know, a lot of people have family, kids, elderly people that they're taking care of or other projects, other jobs. So to have that flexibility to just get in your car and turn the app on, it's very important. However, some organizers, like Lori, say that fears about flexibility are misplaced. There is no law that says an employee can't have a flexible schedule. There's no reason somebody doing Uber or Lyft wouldn't be able to continue that. If they stop it, it's because they are actively retaliating against workers for organizing. Lori said that retaliation from Uber and Lyft could be a real possibility if the PRO Act passes and gig workers decide to unionize. In 2019, California passed a bill that reclassified gig workers as employees. In response, 
Uber and Lyft launched a $205 million campaign to overturn it. That campaign succeeded last year when California voters approved a ballot measure that created an exemption to the 2019 bill for rideshare drivers. Gig workers' status is an issue playing out on the global stage as well. In March, the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom ruled that Uber must reclassify its drivers, guaranteeing them minimum wage, holiday pay, and pension plans. So, as Senate lawmakers gear up to debate the PRO Act, the future of American gig workers' fight for safety, independence, and good wages hangs in the balance. This is an extremely dangerous job, and to do it without protections, you're setting yourself up for a, a bad, bad situation to occur. From the Daily Northwestern, I'm Will Clark. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Ripple. This episode was reported and produced by myself, Will Clark. The audio editor of The Daily is Madison Smith. The digital managing editor is Haley Fuller. The editor-in-chief is Sneha Day.